Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. Our mission is to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word through the most effective media available, like this podcast. To support Pathway to Victory, go to ptv.org podcast and click the donate button or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffers. In response to the horrific attack on Israel, I've written a brand new book called Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. How are we to live in light of the end times? First of all, the Bible says we ought to live with hope. So what hope is there? Where is our hope? Ladies and gentlemen, our hope is in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's where our hope is. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, some Christians view Bible prophecy as an interesting but purely theoretical topic. Sure, the end times will happen sometime in the future, but does that have any bearing on how we live right now? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains how the reality of Christ's return should impact our everyday living. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. It's the dead of winter in Dallas, where I live, but I'm already looking forward to the summer months when Amy and I will be hosting the Pathway to Victory cruise to Alaska. The dates are June 15th through 22nd, and would love to have you join with us. Listen, there's nothing quite like watching the sunrise and sunset from the deck of a magnificent cruise ship. God's glorious creation is on full display in Alaska, with majestic mountains, the tree-lined coast, and all manners of wildlife in view. We're bringing our own entertainment, including the musical artistry of Rebecca St. James and Michael O'Brien, which makes this vacation a truly Christian experience. We'll also enjoy the comedy of comedian Dennis Swanberg, and I'll be opening God's Word for us to study together. There's still space available if you respond quickly. All of the information, including details about the exciting itinerary, can be found at ptv.org. And then, it's important to relay this time-sensitive information. Time is running short to request your copy of my brand new book on Bible prophecy. It's titled, Are We Living in the End Times? The subtitle is Biblical Answers to Seven Questions About the Future. This time-limited offer ends on Friday. Maybe you've seen my book featured on Fox News or heard about my book on social media. Well, you can easily request your copy from Pathway to Victory because we're the exclusive publishers of this brand new bestseller. A copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. More details about my book and other resources will be shared just after today's message. But right now, let's answer the most important question of all. I titled today's message, How Do I Prepare for the End Times? In his book, World Aflame, Billy Graham tells a true story of something that happened during the time of President Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower was vacationing in Denver, Colorado one year, and as Eisenhower had his morning cup of coffee, he was reading the newspaper and noticed an open letter in the newspaper to him from a little boy, six years old, named Paul Haley, who was dying of cancer. 
And the little boy asked the president if he would come by to visit with him. And so in one of those gracious acts of a president, he paid an unannounced visit to the Haley family. One Sunday morning, the limousine pulled up to the family residence. The president got out, knocked on the door, and you can imagine the surprise when Don Haley, Paul's father, opened the door, dressed in an old T-shirt, faded blue jeans, and an unshaven face. Little Paul was standing behind his father, and the president looked around and said, Paul, I'm President Eisenhower. I understand you want to see me. I've come to visit with you. And so he took him by the hand and they walked outside up and down the sidewalk a couple of times, had a brief visit. The president said goodbye, got in his limousine and fled away. The Haley family and the neighbors talked about that event for years afterwards. Everybody couldn't believe the president would do that. They were so excited, everybody except one person. The father, Don Haley, he said, I can't believe it an unshaven face, faded blue jeans, an old t-shirt. What a way to greet the President of the United States. Granted, that would be embarrassing, but I'll tell you something that's going to be even more embarrassing. And that is one day when the clouds part and the trumpets sound and the King of Kings returns to earth, there are many Christians who are going to be embarrassed. They're going to be ashamed because of their lives. They will suddenly discover that they have wrapped themselves in ambition, greed, immorality, bitterness, and they'll be unprepared to meet the king when he comes. The fact that the king is coming ought to motivate us to change our lives now. The fact that Christians could be embarrassed at the coming of Christ may seem foreign to you, but it's a reality that the Apostle John wrote about in 1 John 2, verse 28. He said, now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. John was not writing to non-Christians. He was talking about Christians, little children. It's possible as a believer to be ashamed when the end times arrive and Christ returns. How can we make sure we're not ashamed? What changes should we make in our life right now? That's what we're going to talk about today in this concluding message in our series, Are We Living in the End Times? Today, I want to address the subject, how should I prepare for the end times? You know, as we've seen in this series, there are two truths that shine like beacons throughout the Bible about Christ coming. Two truths about Christ coming. Wait a minute, Pastor, when you talk about his coming, are you talking about the rapture or the second coming of Jesus? Yes. The answer is both. We saw that Greek word, parousia, is used to describe the rapture of the church, and it's also used to describe the second coming of Christ seven years later. At the rapture, the Lord comes in the air and snatches us up to be with him. At the second coming, the Lord comes to earth, the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14, and he returns with believers to set up his kingdom on the earth. But whether we're talking about the rapture of the second coming, I want you to jot down these two truths. First of all, 
Christ's coming is certain. It is certain. In John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'll come at the rapture. I'll come at the second coming and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus himself promised he's coming back again. As we've seen in our series, you look at the Bible, there are over 300 references in the New Testament to the second coming of Christ or the rapture of the church. 300 references, one out of every 13 verses deals with either the rapture or the second coming of Christ. One of the clearest verses in Scripture that tells us about his coming is found in Acts chapter 1. Remember in our study of Acts, we saw that uh, Jesus, after his resurrection, spent 40 days in his new resurrected body here on the earth, fellowshipping with, teaching his disciples. But after the end of the 40 days, he stood on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. He gave them some final instructions, and then he ascended into heaven. Can you imagine what that sight would have been like to see the Lord ascending into heaven? The disciples were perplexed. They were dumbfounded. They couldn't stop gazing into the sky. And remember in Acts 1.11, the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gawking, <laughs> stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Men, he's coming back again, the angels say, and he's coming back in just the same way. How did Jesus go up into heaven? Well, first of all, he went up literally into heaven. He ascended literally. It wasn't the spirit of Jesus that ascended into heaven. It wasn't the idea of Jesus that ascended into heaven. It was Jesus who ascended into heaven, and he's coming back literally, visibly, where everybody can see him. The Bible says, secondly, he went up visibly, he's coming back visibly. That is, it wasn't just seen by a few, everyone saw it. And at his second coming, unlike the rapture, when only believers see him, when he comes back the second time, the angel said he will come visibly. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the Bible says. Christ's coming is certain. But secondly, Christ's coming is soon. It's soon. Whether we're talking about the rapture or the second coming or our own death when we meet Jesus, it is coming soon. You say, Pastor, how can you say that with such certainty that he's coming soon? Because remember, the next event on God's timetable is the rapture, the snatching away of the church. And there are no signs that must be fulfilled for that to happen. It could happen in the middle of this sermon. It could happen at any time. As we look toward the signs that must be fulfilled for the second coming, seven years later, the regathering of Israel, the building of a temple, we can see those things start to fall in place. But the rapture, Nothing has to happen, and that's why Paul said it's going to be soon. Remember, those in the first century, even those who wrote Scripture, thought it was going to be soon. How much sooner is it now than it was 2,000 years ago? In Romans 13, verses 11 and 12, this is a great verse to memorize. Paul writes, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. 
For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. What does he mean, salvation is nearer to us? He's talking about our ultimate salvation, not just our spirits, but our souls and our bodies are being taken up to receive what God has planned for us. That's what he means. And he said, our salvation is nearer today than it was when we first believed. This letter to the Romans was written in 66 AD. The Romans had become Christians. The part of the Roman church had been saved around 40 AD. So it had been 25 or so years since they were saved. And Paul said, 25 years later now, your salvation, your deliverance is nearer than it was a quarter of a century ago. Just imagine what Paul would say today. He'd say, I thought it was soon then, you Christians, it's closer for you than it even was for me. And that's how we're to live, knowing that Christ's coming is not only certain, but it is soon. There was a family that had one of these old grandfather clocks that would chime every hour, one o'clock, chime once, two o'clock, chime twice. In the middle of the night, it malfunctioned, and it chimed 13 times the little boy in the house awakened, noticed what had happened, and ran through the house yelling, get up, get up. It is later than it's ever been before. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you it is later on God's time clock than it's ever been before. God's return is fixed on his calendar, and every second moves us closer to that. Christ's coming is certain, and it's soon. You may say, so what? What difference does it make in my life if Christ is coming back soon? The Bible never divorces. It never separates the teaching of the end times with how we are to live right now. God's word always ties the two together. A great illustration of that is 2 Peter 3, verses 11 and 12. Peter has just described how the earth, this present earth, is one day going to be burned up and uh, disposed of before the new heaven and the new earth. And notice what he says in verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? How are we to live in light of the end times? Let me suggest to you from the Bible four qualities that ought to characterize every believer as the end times approach. First of all, the Bible says we ought to live with hope. Knowing that the end is soon, we ought to live with hope. You may say, how can I be hopeful when I look at what's happening in Ukraine or Israel or China or potentially nuclear Iran? Not to mention our own country, which has its own governmental dysfunction that is going to intensify. How can I be hopeful? I was reading this week, Richard Haas, a longtime U.S. diplomat, said, quote, the world is in complete disarray. Now, that's a secular man talking about the state of the world. It is in complete disarray. Hearing that comment reminded me of something the former Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel said a few years ago at a conference in Washington. He said, I think we are living through one of these historic defining times. We are seeing a new world order, post-World War II, post-Soviet Union implosion being built. Tyranny, terrorism is going to be with us. It's a reality. 
I see those things continuing. So what hope is there? Where is our hope in the midst of this turmoil? Ladies and gentlemen, our hope doesn't rest in Washington, D.C. Our hope doesn't rest with some candidate for office. If it's not in Washington, if it's not with a political candidate, where is it? Listen to Psalm 39, 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Ladies and gentlemen, our hope is in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's where our hope is. And that's why, as Paul says in Romans 15, 13, we ought to be abounding in hope as God's children. This is one of the most beautiful benedictions found in Scripture, Romans 15, 13. Paul says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see those two references to hope? My Hope is that you will be filled with peace and joy so that you might abound in hope. That word abound is a word that refers to a river that overflows its banks. The idea is somebody standing on the bank, the bank overflows, the river overflows, and it splashes the person standing by and watching. He said there ought to be so much joy flowing through our lives right now. So much joy that if anybody gets close to us, they're gonna get splashed, not with water, but with joy. That's how Christians are to be. It's a strong witness for Christ when we're able to share joy. I'm not talking about giddiness. I'm talking about the calm assurance that God is in control of what's happening in the world in general and in my world specifically. That's a powerful witness for the gospel. Peter understood that truth. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, he wrote, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everybody who asks you to an account. You know, we use this verse in apologetics about why we as Christians ought to know God's word and be able to defend the doctrines of the faith. Be ready to ask anybody who asks you for an account. Have those things memorized. Be ready to share. Now, that's all well and good, but that's not what Peter primarily has in mind here. Do you know I've been a pastor for 45 years? Never once has an unbeliever asked me, Pastor, would you give an account for why you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? Never once. I've never had an unbeliever ask me, why do you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture? I've never had an unbeliever ask, why do you believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ for our sins? Now, those are all important doctrines. Don't misunderstand. But the unbeliever doesn't know enough to ask those questions. That's not what Peter is talking about. He says, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. That's what attracts an unbeliever's attention. When he sees a Christian so filled with hope, no matter what the chaos is, that he stands out of the crowd. That's how we're to be in these end times. We are to live with hope. Notice, <laughs> Peter doesn't say, be ready to give an account for the depression that is in you or the apprehension that is in you. 
spend too much time listening to talk radio or watching cable news, you're going to be filled with despair and anxiety. No, what attracts unbelievers is when they see the hope that is within us. We're to live with hope, but secondly, we're to live with insight. Now, tucked away in the book of First Chronicles, in the Old Testament in chapter 12, is a listing of Jewish men who decided to leave the service of King Saul and start supporting God's man in Hebron, King David. And it lists these men who made that decision to switch affiliations. And it listed them by the tribes of Israel, the men of Judea, the Judah, the men of Benjamin, the tribe of Levi. And then when it got to the tribe of Issachar, you find this word in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. These men understood that the political winds in Israel were changing. They had their finger on the pulse of what was happening in their country morally, spiritually, and even politically. They had insight into what was happening around them. You know, there's so many Christians, I run into them all the time. They say, well, I never keep up with current events. I never watch the TV news. I never read the news feed. I just concentrate on my relationship with God. That sounds so good, but it is so wrong. Listen, if you don't remember anything else I said today, remember this, God places no premium on ignorance. I mean, you know, there are crowns different Christians are going to receive. There's a crown of righteousness, a crown of faith, a crown of perseverance. Don't expect God to ever give you a crown for ignorance. Oh, you didn't know what was happening in your world? Congratulations. No, we are to understand what is happening in our world today. I think about Billy Graham. You know, Billy used to say, I keep a newspaper in one hand and I keep my Bible in the other hand. The newspaper tells me what's happening. The Bible tells me what it means. Now, again, you can go overboard in that. You can become obsessed with news events and political talk, but we need to be aware of what's happening. Why? So that number three, we can be people of action. We are to live with action. Again, First Chronicles 12, 32, they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. It is so easy for us to do nothing, to be paralyzed with fear and depression because of what's happening. No, the Bible says we need to know what is happening so that we know what to do. As Christians, we are to be people of action. That's what Jesus called us to. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Of the six questions that I addressed in this brand new series, I believe this is the most important one. Why? Well, because it's the most practical. It's the question that drives us toward obedience to God's call. And the question is this, how do I prepare for the end times? 
I have much more to say on this topic, and I urge you to keep on listening to Pathway to Victory. This special series, Are We Living in the End Times, will conclude with tomorrow's broadcast. And in fact, Friday's radio program represents the deadline for requesting my brand new book as well. It's also called, Are We Living in the End Times? And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request your copy. Now, lately you've heard me talk about the value of our Pathway partners. These friends of Pathway to Victory have agreed to give a gift every single month. Well, behind the scenes at Pathway to Victory, we've been asking God to provide 1,200 new Pathway partners to the team. Can you imagine the impact in 2024 as we activate these gifts to reach more people with the gospel? So why not take this step and become a Pathway partner today? When you become a Pathway partner, you'll be making an impact in parts of the world that you may never visit. God will leverage your generosity to shine His light of hope in places that are otherwise overcome with darkness. Plus, with your first gift, I'll be sure to send you a copy of my new book, Are We Living in the End Times? To become a Pathway Partner right now, go to ptv.org or just follow these simple instructions from David. Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, or when you give your first gift as a Pathway Partner, you're invited to request the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress, Are We Living in the End Times? Just call 866-999-2965 or visit online at ptv.org. And when you give an especially generous gift of $75 or more, we'll also include the complete Are We Living in the End Times teaching series on audio and video discs. Plus, we'll include the fascinating reference book, The End Times Illustrated, featuring illustrated charts that easily explain essential prophecy teachings. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. Now, if you'd prefer to write, here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. One more time, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back Friday for the conclusion of our series, Are We Living in the End Times? Right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. You made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory, and we're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. One of the most impactful ways you can give is by becoming a Pathway Partner. Your monthly gift will empower Pathway to Victory to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and help others become rooted more firmly in His Word. To become a Pathway Partner, go to ptv.org podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast from Pathway to Victory.